Hi, and welcome to the Vine Community Church Podcast. We hope that what you're about to hear will help you to flourish in God's grace and bear fruit through loving God, loving each other, and loving our community. My name is Tim Barton, and I'm one of the pastors here at the Vine. And I want to start by taking you back about 13 years. So 13 years ago, my oldest son, Garrison, who's now 15, um, was two years old. And I did ask him if I could say this, okay. So my oldest son, Garrison, who is, who is now 15, was, was 13. If you know Garrison, Garrison's pretty outgoing. Um, that's, that's been tempered slightly lately, not that much. Um, as a two-year-old, he was the most outgoing person I knew. Now, at two years old, um, I moved my family across the country to live in Utah. I'm from North Carolina. We moved across the country to live in Utah, and in Utah, um, we, we were trying to get to know our neighbors. We had, um, all the yards were kind of um, joined together by mostly chain link fences and things. And so you could see your neighbors when they came outside. You could talk to them. Well, Garrison was meeting everyone. And there was one day in particular, I'm outside working, so he's out run, running around the yard playing. One day in particular, an eight-year-old boy came out of the house kind of behind us um, to the right. He comes out of the house and as he comes out of the house, he has this mouth full of food. You know, he's just kind of coming, coming out, running out because he sees a kid and he comes over and he's talking to Garrison. And they're over there for a, for a little while. And then I see his mother come outside. And his mother yelled out to the son, yelled the son's name and said, hey, you need to come inside. It's supper time. Well, that was a little odd because the boy had a mouth full of food when he came out to begin with. But the boy goes inside and Garrison's just standing there at the fence, kind of watching, wondering what's going on. So I go over to Garrison after a minute or so, and I said, "Hey, buddy, let, let's go ahead and let's go ahead and go do something else." Or, and, and he said, "No, Daddy. My friend said he's coming back. I'm going to wait right here." And he sat down on a pile of grass clippings. I was in the back corner of the yard. He had no intention of moving. As a parent, I'm watching that going, "Mm, that boy's not coming back out here. But Garrison was, he, he really believed this false promise from this child. Today, we are told to wait on the promise of the Lord. But often, that's not really what we're looking to wait on, is it? We wait on a lot of things in this life. We wait on things that promise to give purpose or fulfillment or hope or joy. I'll give you some examples. Maybe we wait on the right moment, or we wait on the right job, or we wait on the right person to marry or we wait for our opportunity, or we wait for a sign, or we wait until things feel right. Or we say things like, wait till I graduate, wait till I get married, wait till I have children, wait till I get a job, wait till I retire, wait until I get everything in order. What, what are you waiting for today? What are you waiting for? Today we're beginning a new series called The Power of the Church in the Face of Persecution. Now, For some of you just then, as I say the title of that series based on what I've just been saying, you're like, wait a minute, what? (laughs) What are you talking about? 
You just went from waiting to persecution. What is going on? Well, we're beginning a new series in the book of Acts. And in the book of Acts, in the book of Acts, we are shown that as followers of Jesus, we're told to be part of reflecting who God is to the world around us. And we are to be growing to reflect what God says is good in our lives, growing to reflect what his word says. And so, that, by the way, the biblical word for that is growing in holiness. And then we're to learn to trust him, to wait on him day by day. And while we do so, while we do so, we're going to face forms of persecution. I would argue, and we'll talk more about this later in the sermon, that we are all going to face persecution But I would also say that we pretend that we can control or that we can manipulate circumstances to protect ourselves, to protect those we love from experiencing that. I sure didn't expect when I was 14 years old to face persecution like like I have through my life at different times. Not that bad. We'll talk more about the details of that later. But what we need to do again and again, instead of trying to control and manipulate circumstances to protect ourselves and those we love from persecution, what we need to do is to learn to wait and trust in the power of God, the power that he has given us to grow his church, see his kingdom advanced, and to change us individually day by day. That power um, is, he says, the power of the Holy Spirit. And so as we begin this series we're going to first look at the disciples. They're the first people that are told to wait, to wait for the power of the Lord, right? They're told to wait on him. And, and at this point, I don't think that was very easy for them. It was probably actually that they were still somewhat confused, didn't really understand the big picture, and yet they're told uh, to wait. But for the disciples and for us, again, waiting is hard. Waiting on the power of the Lord is hard. But what I want us to see this morning is that the truth helps us wait on his power. And let me show you what I mean by that. We're going to look at Acts chapter 1. We're just going to look at verses 1 through 5, which is the introduction to the book of Acts. Luke is writing, and he says this beginning in verse 1. In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. He presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So again, the truth helps us to wait um, for his power. And we come to this book of Acts. Many have called um, the book of Acts, um, Acts of the Apostles, or you might've heard it called Acts of the Holy Spirit. Um, you can, you know, you start thinking about all the things that go on in the book of Acts, a lot of words that can be there. I kind of think about it's the, the, the work of Jesus, by, it's, it's the acts of Jesus by the Holy Spirit through the apostles <laughs> and, and as he builds his church. It's Jesus's truth. And so Luke is telling them at the beginning here. He's reminding the people as he sets this up, as he's, as he's, he's reminding Theophilus, no, that this is truth. 
And we're going to see this truth in three ways. He's going to talk about the account of Jesus's life and then the proof of Jesus's life and resurrection and then the reason for Jesus's life. And so again, verses one through two, as we look at the account of Jesus's life, who Jesus is. He says, in the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up, after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. So here's what's going on. Luke tells Theophilus that he had quite carefully investigated the details of the life of Jesus, and he had written them down very clearly. Um, an orderly account, he says. We know that from Luke chapter 1, verses 3 through 4. Um, it begins very similarly to Acts, and he says, I wrote these in an orderly and clear way, O most excellent Theophilus, so that you might have certainty concerning the things you have been taught. And so what he's doing is saying, this is history. You know, we just, we just looked at those events in the last sermon series, some of those from, uh, from the Gospel of Luke, but Luke's making a very clear point here. This is the second volume of his writing. So now he's talking about the account of Jesus. Now he's making a very clear point here that this is not just some story. You'll hear it said over and over again in, the, in our culture that this is, just an, this is just a story from Jesus or a story that the early church made up. But Luke's saying these aren't made up facts. This isn't some story. This is history. And this is really important for us today to understand because that's what makes Christianity different from every other religion. It's the fact that this is history. Think about it a minute. If you take away the history of other religions, very little changes. Why do I say that? Because most other religion is not based on the history. It's based on moral, philosophical thought. But if you take away the history of Christianity and you reduce it to moral teachings or some ways to live a better life, then there is no more Christianity. Did y'all hear that? If you take away the history of Christianity, there is no more Christianity. Why is that? Because Jesus came and Jesus taught us about God. He's the one that taught it. Jesus showed us about God in his life. Jesus died to achieve our salvation. And Jesus was raised by the power of God to defeat the power of sin. And then now Jesus works through his people to bring about his kingdom. And so coming out of Easter, you know, we, we celebrated the resurrection, right? And by the way, we do that every Sunday. But, but coming out of, of Easter, if Jesus is not alive, there is no point in us being here. None. Luke wrote these things down that concerns Jesus' life and teaching. And he's reminding them of that, saying, hey, you can go back and read all that in the Gospel of Luke, that first letter I sent you, Theophilus. It's all there. And now he moves to briefly mention the proof of what Jesus had done. This is in this, uh, verse 3. The proof that Jesus was alive. It says, he presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days. John told us last week that, that Jesus had returned in person, that he taught his disciples. We know that from Luke chapter 24, verse 24. And now we see here that that went on for 40 days. This wasn't some like happenstance thing where one person saw him. 
and, and told about it. It wasn't some secret thing. See, Jesus didn't just give the disciples ideas or good moral approach to follow and carry into the world. He had risen from the dead. And Luke's going, no, there is proof of this. He rose from the dead. Think about that a minute, what that means. The disciples had seen the holes in Jesus' hands as they nailed nails through them to put him on the cross. The disciples had seen a spear thrust into his side. The disciples had seen Jesus breathe his last and cry out. And then the disciples saw the resurrected Jesus. You see, this isn't some story they're hearing. They were there. And Luke's telling this account. Do you understand that? Just think about this practically for a minute. Those guys would have never, these were the guys known to be with Jesus. They would have never come back together and stayed together and faced persecution, faced ridicule, faced the loss of everything. By the way, all but one of them was martyred. They wouldn't have done that for some story they heard or some good moral philosophy. They came back together because Jesus had risen from the dead and they had seen him. And that kept them there. You remember Thomas? John chapter 20, verse 25, Thomas is like, the other disciples had seen Jesus risen. Thomas hadn't seen him yet. He wasn't with them. And it's, he's like, nope. Unless I see the, holes, place my, see the holes in his hands and place my finger in the marks of his holes um, and, and put my hand into his side, I won't believe. Then eight days later, Jesus is standing in front of him and he falls to his face and says, my Lord and my God. He appeared to Thomas. 1 Corinthians 15, 3, verse 8, Paul talking about this says that he appeared in verse, or actually I'm gonna pick up in verse five. He says that he appeared to Peter, then to the twelve. Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then, he, then to all the apostles. And last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me. This is the apostle Paul talking. The point of all that is Luke's tying out, or bringing out there that during this 40 days, a lot of people saw the risen Jesus. There was proof of his life. And so he's saying, I wrote the things down concerning Jesus' life, and, and, I'm, and I'm, writing, I'm showing you that there was proof. Remember this, he appeared to all these people, and then he gives the reason for Jesus' life. Second half of verse three says, and speaking about, he had said he had presented himself alive after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days, and speaking about the kingdom of God. So he was appearing to people, and he was talking about the kingdom of God. See, the reason for Jesus' life is the same as the reason for our life as followers of Jesus. It's, it's, it's so that a people can be saved for God. It's so that disciples can be made. It's so that his kingdom will advance on earth as it is in heaven. The kingdom concept is extremely important to our Christian walk because it's this picture that of what God has done to draw people to himself and a picture that he is going to continue to work through his people to see this happen here on earth, 
but then ultimately in the new heavens and the new earth. You see, they had put Christ to death. Christ, Christ had died. But death could not hold the king. Death could not hold the king. He rose from the dead and he sits at the Father's right hand as a glorious king. You know what that imagery means, the right hand of God? Y'all probably, most of y'all have probably heard this, but I'll just share it with you again. So when a king or a leader of an army would go into battle, most people in the world, even though it's different than me, most people in the world are right-handed, right? Okay, so as they would go into battle, they're holding their sword with their right hand. That means they're holding their shield in their left hand. You know, they're the big shields. You've seen these things, right, in, in movies and things. They'd hold the big shield in their left hand. They'd hold their sword in the right hand. What happens when they would thrust with their sword? What's exposed? The right side. And so what they would do would put their most trusted warrior, the one that they trust to protect them, the one that they trusted to fight, and, and the, the most hardened warrior they'd put right beside them on their right side. Now, there's other aspects to this imagery, but I want you to understand Jesus is the king. Jesus is the one who is reigning. He is the one who's given power to his people. He is at the Father's right side. And he will reign. He's reigning now. And he continues to reign. Jesus came to save a people. Jesus came to rule and to reign over the lives of his people. And today, the kingdom is present as Jesus reigns in the hearts of his people, the church. You know what I mean by reigns in, in, in our lives? That, that day by day, we are saying, Jesus, you are Lord. Jesus, you know what is best for my life. Jesus, you show me that in your word. Jesus, I don't want to follow that thing that I see in your word. That's the sin in my heart. I've done something different than what you've said. Jesus, by your spirit, change me. In addition to that, as he's doing that in us individually, his kingdom is coming on earth as it is in heaven, as we share that with one another as we see more and more people grow to know and believe this truth and live as he is their king. And it also means over and over again that we see glimpses of, of the kingdom where it will be in its fullness as we care for the widow and orphan, as we care for the least of these, as we're looking to others in our community around us, letting them know the love and the care of our Lord Jesus. The world rejects that. The world rejects that Jesus is the king. But those who are followers of Jesus honor him. We honor him as he rules in our hearts as a king. We honor him as he requires us to submit to him, asking, us to change, asking him to change us over and over. He's the ultimate authority for how we live our lives on this earth. As more and more people are living in that way, we are seeing his kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. So for many of us, 
we hear things like that and we think, okay, got it. I'm going to follow Jesus. Now, what are the things I can go fix and how can I get things done for him? It's kind of where our minds go. But notice what Jesus says to the disciples. Wait. Wait for the promise of the Father. You see, this truth is telling us Jesus is at work. It tells us his kingdom is here, present in his people, and that it's going to come fully in the new heavens and the new earth. That's the reason Jesus historically came. And so we, we focus on that truth because without that truth, we, we miss the rest of it. But, but as we have that, that should help us understand that that's the reason Jesus came. That should help us wait on his power instead of trying to go off and do it all in our own strength. That's the second point this morning, and I promise it's a shorter one. Waiting for his power. Look at verses four through five. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. As Luke is writing this, it's been 40 days, right? He's telling them to wait. There's 10 more days to come. We know that Pentecost came 10 days after. And so he's telling them, wait. Now, I want to pause on that for a minute. There's so much that I could unpack here, but I'm going to keep it simple for today. Today, if you are a follower of Jesus, you have received the Holy Spirit. It is his work that causes us to see our sin, to confess it, to repent of it, to turn to Jesus as our only hope. Every believer has the Holy Spirit. It's not some of us do and some of us don't. And, let me keep going, and, we each need to learn again and again that we need his power, that we need his leading to grow in understanding his word to live lives that are obedient to his word, to accomplish the work that he has begun in us and to accomplish the work that he has called us to do. We need the power of the Holy Spirit leading us to make disciples and to advance his kingdom on this earth. The rest of this series is going to be showing us how crucial it is that we are, wanting, that, that we are waiting on his power and his leading but as a, as a preface to that, as, as we think about that to come, I want you to understand two things. We need to be waiting on and looking to his power and his presence for two reasons. One, because we like to try to do stuff on our own. And two, because we will all face different types of persecution in this life. Let me unpack both those things for a moment. First, because we try to do stuff on our own. Why do we try to do that? I saw several of you looking around a minute ago to your spouse or to the person sitting next to you when I said that, that we try to do stuff on our own, and you're like, yeah, you do that, um, right? <laughs> if I was sitting next to my wife, she'd probably do the same thing. Um, we, we try to do that. Why do we try to do that? Let me tell you a secret too, by the way. If you just kind of curl up and say, I can't do anything, I can't accomplish anything. So, you know, if you do that, you're also trying to do it on your own. You're just acknowledging I have no strength and you don't run to the Holy Spirit to, the, to his leading. It's the same thing, by the way. Just throw that out there. But with that said, why do we do that? 
We do it because we learn it from our sinful nature. That we should be the ones who are in what? Control. We should be the ones that are in control. We should be the ones that are in charge. We should be God of our lives. That flows from the sinful nature of man. But let me also say this, is that as a result of that, our world teaches it too, right? What does Nike tell us to do? Just do it, right? (laughs) Or you might hear that you can have it your way. Or you might hear things like, well, the customer's always right, so if the customer takes control and they tell you this is what it is, you gotta follow it. I could go on and on. There's so many different little slogans and things we could unpack there and talk about. That's what drives our whole world. And it's driven by this idea that we should try to do stuff on our own. So it's a no wonder for us that we've got to learn how to do this as we grow in walking and following the one who is reigning in our lives. The, the question is, are we willing to daily, regularly say, Lord, I don't even know today what all I'm going to try to do on my own, but will you please make that clear to me as I go through this day and help me trust you and wait on you instead? and wait on your power? Or we ask that as the church, as leaders, as elders. See, we think that we should get to pick and choose what is good for us because after all, who knows better than ourselves? The Bible says that God does and that he deeply loves and cares for his people and that's why he gave us his word to know what he calls us to and it's why he gave us his spirit because it's the power to follow him. The second reason that we need to wait for his power is because we will face persecution of different kinds. Now, you remember the kind of persecution the disciples faced, right? They faced all, all types of things. Well, in the Old Testament, first of all, people thrown in the lion's dens. You have um, people just whole, whole places wiped out. You have just all sorts of things. Then you move to the New Testament, um, just the disciples alone, um, one thrown into a, um, a pit of mastiffs, one uh, beheaded, one um, crucified upside down, one burned at the stake. I mean, you could go on and on, right? And I don't make light of that. But those things happen. We, we here in the United States haven't faced that yet. Christians in the Sudan, Christians in China, they're facing things like that in different places throughout the world. Those things do happen. But we do still face persecution. And we will continue to face persecution. You know how I know it? Because God's word says it's true. That as followers of Jesus, we will. I'm going to go back to the story I told you in the beginning to give you one example of that. The reason that mother told that child not to speak to my two-year-old was that we lived in a place where the majority religion was 80% different from us. And as a result of that, they knew, everybody quickly knew what I did, who I was. And so basically because I moved my son out there as a follower of Jesus, this mother told their eight-year-old son they couldn't talk to my two-year-old. Y'all understand, I know that that's nothing like getting beheaded. I get it. (laughs) but that is a form of persecution. 
And we are going to face more and more of that as a church, as individuals. We are going to face more and more of it in the days and years to come. What's the power to face it? Are we going to try to suck it up and do it on our own? Guess what? If that's what we're going to do, there's going to be a lot less people in this room because we're going to burn out and because we don't have the power to do that. Or are we going to say, Lord, help me to wait on you, to wait on your strength, to trust you? Today, as we prepare our hearts for communion, I want to invite you to first, just for a moment, to pray and to thank God for his power. It's the same power that rose Jesus from the dead. (laughs) He lives in us. He's working in us. He's changing us. Thank him for that. But then I want to to encourage you to, to ask him to show you where the, where the things in your life where you're waiting on, where you're waiting on something other than Jesus as your hope. Where you're waiting on something other than Jesus and the power of his spirit to show you your purpose in life. And I want you to lay that before him. So just take a couple moments and I'll bring us back together. Thanks so much for joining us for this podcast. For more information, you can visit us online at thevinecc.com, download our mobile app, or visit us on Facebook or Instagram at thevinecc. Have a great week.